Howdy, y'all. Welcome to In The Sticks, the podcast about something, nothing, and everything all at once. Hope you guys had a good couple of weeks. It's, uh, man, it's pretty miserable outside right now. If you live pretty much anywhere in the Midwest or Central Southern Plains, you know what I'm talking about. It's, uh, it's cold. Uh, let's just say that. When I woke up this morning, the actual air temperature was negative 5 degrees with a wind chill of about minus 15. Um, t- tomorrow morning, I think the actual air temperature is supposed to be 13 below with a wind chill of um, 30 degrees below zero. So it is miserable. We had a, a pretty good storm come through yesterday. Uh, you know, they were estimating anywhere from 10 to 16 inches of snow. I th- I'd be surprised if we really got more than about 6 inches. It's hard to tell, though, because there's some areas that, you know, you can still see the grass sticking up through the snow, and and then there's some areas where the snow drifts are 6 feet deep. So kind of hard to tell how much snow we actually got because the wind was blowing about 30 miles an hour the whole time. But, you know, regardless, we did get a bunch of snow. We're supposed to get 3, I'm sorry, four to eight more inches tomorrow during the day and overnight tomorrow night. So we're not quite done with it yet. And I know, you know, there's a bunch of people, every, every county in the state of Oklahoma and in the state of Texas for the first time ever are under a winter storm warning. And I was, (laughs) I saw some pictures on the news this morning of Galveston, uh, the beach in Galveston covered in snow. It's absolutely incredible. But, um, you know, for, for probably the first time that I can remember, the electric companies and even some of the natural gas companies are, are suggesting that you cut back on, on your usage um, because there is a much higher demand than there is supply right now of, of electricity. I know, especially in, in Texas, they are doing rolling blackouts that are lasting for 20 to 30 minutes and that's you know that's pretty incredible that's that's unheard of i mean they're they're shutting off people's electricity because they don't have enough to go around which sounds crazy but you know if if we had to do that we would be man we'd be in bad shape i mean we have our heater our heater hasn't stopped running in probably 36 hours 48 hours maybe uh, when we woke up this morning, the temperature in our bedroom was about 55 degrees. And that, I mean, that is with the heater running all night long. You know, we live in a tin can with single pane windows and, you know, it's, you know, it's pretty incredible. It, it's very cold in our house, um, despite the heater running all night. It just can't keep up. You know, we have it set at 67 degrees and it never got above probably 63 degrees. The, the, uh, thermostat read 60 degrees in, in the house, but our bedroom, uh, was about 55 degrees, between 55 and 60 degrees when we woke up this morning. So, you know, it's brutally cold, and um, this is actually going to be the longest stretch of below-freezing temperatures that we've ever seen, as far as I know, at least since the 1940s. I mean, as of right now, you know, today is Monday. It hasn't been above 15 degrees since um, sometime overnight this past Thursday. Again, the the wind chill last night was about 15 below. It's supposed to be about 30 to 35 below tonight. The high temperature for today is about 4 degrees, and I think the high tomorrow is uh, around zero. So it's not supposed to get above freezing until sometime 
um, maybe Saturday, Friday, Friday afternoon, or maybe Saturday. And this, and like I said, it'll be the longest stretch of below freezing temperatures since at least the 40s. So I think by the time we get above freezing, we will have a stretch of somewhere between 200 and 70 to 282 hours below freezing. Um, I'll have to let you know what the actual total is, but um, over a week straight. It, it's it's crazy. It's ridiculous. You know, like I said, I think we got about six inches of snow last night, and uh, we're supposed to get between six and ten more inches tomorrow, starting around noon and going all the way through uh, Wednesday morning. So we'll see how that turns out. I'll give you guys updates next week on, on what the totals were. But... The downside of it all, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, we haven't seen snow like this since probably 2009, maybe 2011 here in central Oklahoma. So it's pretty cool for the kids to get to see it. But the bad part is it's so cold that it's downright just dangerous for them to go out and play in it. We're going to let them go out this afternoon um, just for a couple minutes, but it won't be for very long because uh, they're saying that frostbite can set in in about 30 minutes on exposed skin in this temperature. So... They won't be out there for very long. Um, and another downside is, you know, we were we were scheduled to break ground last Friday. They were running behind on their last job, so they were set to bring the equipment out. I said last Friday. We were scheduled to break ground the Friday before last. <laughs> so they were going to bring the equipment out last week to start. Um, but it was so cold last week, and then the weather came in late late this past week that they decided not to bring the equipment out, and it's not going to get any better through this week. In fact, uh, you know, it won't be above freezing until Saturday or Sunday, so hopefully by next week they will start working on the house, um, and I'll have something to report as far as that goes. But, um, you know, the you know as soon as, as they were ready to get started, the weather <laughs> moved in, and and we, we were delayed before we, we could even start. So. so anyways, that's what's going on around here. Um, my dad sent me an email. Last week, and uh, I think it was, you know, another one bites the dust or something to that effect, but um, it was about a serial killer who had died in Ohio, and this guy's name is Anthony Soule, and I haven't heard of him, and, you know, that's not too surprising because I'm sure there's many serial killers I haven't heard of because there are so many of them, but this one, I was kind of surprised just because he was very similar to John Wayne Gacy that we covered on the last podcast in the sense that the victims that he killed, he actually buried under and inside of his house. So he wasn't quite as prolific as John Wayne Gacy Jr., but he was, you know, kind of just as disgusting, really. But he was known he was known as the Cleveland Strangler. I got my information a little bit from Wikipedia, of course, as usual. <laughs> and then a, a lot of it came from a book called Nobody's Women, The Crimes and Victims of Anthony Sowell, The Cleveland Serial Killer, written by Steve Miller. So Anthony Edward Sowell, The Cleveland Strangler, was born on August 19, 1959, and he was raised in East Cleveland. So East Cleveland was... An industrial city, and it was home to um, to many sprawling mansions before the Great Depression, before um, World War II. But when the Depression hit, many of these really big homes that were on what was known as Millionaires Row, Euclid Avenue, um, they were abandoned and demolished. But by the time that um, Seoul was born, there were still about 18 homes left on Millionaire's Row. 
after World War II and after the, the Depression, there was an uptick in development of suburbs in the Cleveland area, which brought a lot of changes to East Cleveland. By the time that Anthony was born, the city, uh, it was home to an increasingly larger number of African Americans, which made up a majority of the demographics of East Cleveland. And by, by the mid-1980s or so, East Cleveland was one of the largest primarily black communities in Ohio. So, so Sowell was born in East Cleveland, and he was one of seven children born to their single mother. And her name was Claudia Garrison, but she went by Gertrude. She was a single parent. They, you know, the, there were several different fathers to these several children, and none of them hung around after the kids were born to help raise them. So she was responsible for caring for and raising these children on her own. Um, and this is kind of, you know, similar to many other serial killers that we've looked at as well, where they are born and raised in households with multiple children and uh, with um, only a single single parent um, raising them. So in addition to his six siblings living in the house with him, Anthony also had seven nieces and nephews that lived in the house with him as well when Anthony's sister passed away. Um, she had seven kids. She actually had five kids by the time she was 18 years old, and then she had two more kids and died when she was 25 from complications from chronic bronchitis. She had really bad asthma, and as a result, she had chronic bronchitis. She ended up dying when she was 25. She had seven kids who went to live with her mother, um, which was obviously Anthony's mother, so there was 14 kids living in this one house with one Basically, one adult primarily responsible for raising the kids. Now, obviously, the older kids helped raise the younger kids, but that wasn't necessarily a really good thing because in this household, um, you know, there was uh, there was said to be a lot of mental illness, uh, some physical illness, including epilepsy and birth defects throughout the family. No one was allowed to have friends over. No one had birthday parties, and. You know, it was it was said to be a, a fairly violent household when the when the especially when the older males started to assault the younger females. Um, and a, an example of that is um, one of Anthony's nieces, Leona Davis. She claimed that Anthony himself assaulted her after Anthony's mom made her undress in front of the entire family so that she could uh, basically whip her with a, an extension cord. And, you know, Anthony saw her and he started to, he would do things like um, steal things from his mother and then blame it on Leona just so that he could see Leona naked as his mom beat her with the extension cord. Eventually, he started forcing her to go to his room and he would rape her, uh, you know, she claims from the about, about the age of 10 years old and, and on, he began to rape her almost on a daily basis. And the other male siblings also participated in this type of behavior as well. So, very volatile, very violent household that that Anthony grew up in. By the time 1977 rolled around, Anthony, he was already going down the wrong path. He was, you know, he was a high school dropout. He'd already been arrested for, you know, shoplifting, domestic violence, drunken disorderly conduct... Uh, breaking and entering, simple assault, these sorts of, you know, misdemeanor offenses, but over and over again. 
And so when Anthony turned 19, he actually had he had earned his GED and he decided to join the Marine Corps. Uh, he, he knew that he was going to wind up in prison um, one way or another. So he to avoid that, he tried joining the Marine Corps. About a month after he joined the Marine Corps, he found out that his high school sweetheart and his girlfriend at the time, Twyla, Twyla Austin, she was pregnant, and their daughter, Julie, was born in in August of 1978. But despite that, Anthony attended his basic training for the Marine Corps at the recruit depot at Paris Island in South Carolina. He trained as an electrician um, in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. After he was done with his uh, basic training, he was assigned to the 2nd Marine Aircraft Wing at Air Station Cherry Point in North Carolina. And in 1980, he spent a year overseas with the 3rd Force Service Support Group uh, before returning to Cherry Point. Um, When he returned in 1981, he married a woman by the name of Kim Lawson. They were married for, for about four years before they ended up getting a divorce after, I mean, they were both in the Marine Corps and they were constantly apart from each other. Um, Out of the four years that they were married, they only spent a total of two years together. And so, uh, you know, they just couldn't make that work. So they ended up getting a divorce in 1985. But back to 1984, um, Anthony went to base camp Butler in Okinawa, Japan, and he spent a year there. And after that, he was transferred back to Camp Pendleton, California. Overall, he had a very successful career in the Marine Corps. Believe it or not, he received a good conduct medal uh, with one service star. He received a sea service deployment ribbon, a certificate of commendation, a meritorious mass, and two letters of appreciation. So he had a, he had a pretty successful uh, Marine Corps career. Uh, just one note on Kim. She actually died in an industrial work accident in 1998 when when Anthony was serving his first stint in prison, which we will get to um, now, actually. So it was about four years after he was discharged from the Marine Corps, honorable discharge, when he was actually arrested for his first violent felony. Uh, there was a, a female by the name of Melvet Sockwell who was three months pregnant um, at the time that she encountered Anthony. She had gone out. She was actually out all night. It was around 6 a.m. when she was walking back to her hotel. Her boyfriend was already at the hotel. She was going to meet him there, but he was a known drug dealer. And when she returned to the hotel, she noticed a couple cop cars parked outside of their room. So she thought maybe her boyfriend got busted. She didn't want to get in the middle of it. So she went to a a payphone that was outside of the hotel. And Anthony happened to walk up to her as she was uh, trying to make calls from this payphone and they got to talking a little bit and Anthony offered her a ride home and she agreed to this but Anthony you know he said well my my car's at my house you'll have to come back to my house but I live just a couple blocks down the street so they started walking home it was probably close to 10 o'clock in the morning by the time that they they got back to his house Anthony invited her inside and she thought yeah what the heck he seems like a nice enough guy she goes inside with him he locked the door behind her and immediately brandished a knife. He forced her upstairs to his bedroom, and then he basically tortured her. He raped her and beat her for the next 12 hours. He used a tie and a belt to bind her feet and gagged her with a rag. 
she kept repeating the mantra inside of her head, not out loud, inside of her head. She kept telling herself the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, over and over and over. Um, and despite not remember saying it out loud ever, um, Anthony actually looked at her at one point and said, well, you might as well say your prayers because I'm going to kill you. So he did tell her that he was going to kill her, but he also told her that he was too tired to do it at the time, and he needed to take a nap first. And sure enough, he lay down next to her in the bed, and he fell asleep. So at this point, Sockwell was able to roll out of the bed and scoot towards a window that she would, she managed to push it open with her like with her head and her face, and she was able to crawl out the window. But obviously, she was on the second floor, so she she wound up on the second floor roof. And she was out there for just a, a few moments before two men uh, were walking down the sidewalk and they noticed her and she started asking them for help, but she was trying not to make too much noise. And so these two guys thought that she was joking with them, but she turned around and she showed them how her hands were bound behind her back and they they said, oh, you know, okay, this, this might be the real deal. So they called the police. Um, and when the police showed up, they actually entered the home went into Anthony's bedroom and pulled Sockwell back in through the window without ever waking Anthony up. And and eventually he did wake up, and and uh, after they got her side of the story, they ended up charging him with kidnapping, rape, and attempted rape. He pled guilty um, initially by, by means of insanity, uh, but he dropped the insanity part of it, and he pled guilty and served 15 years in prison, and he was released in 2005. While he was in prison, he worked as an electrician and an engine mechanic using some of the skills that he had learned in the military. He did those things while he was in the correctional facilities. He kind of acted as a kitchen worker, as a chef, a chef and a food server after he moved into a transition facility. Uh, but then, like I said, he was released in 2005 back into society. He worked at a factory for a little bit after his release until about 2007 and it was that it was at that point that public records show that he started collecting unemployment benefits but in order to supplement these unemployment benefits he started to sell scrap metal on the side and he also joined an online dating service describing himself as a master looking for a submissive so um, he did all this while living in a neighborhood on Imperial Street in Cleveland, and his neighbors started to complain uh, about the smell. They started calling the health department, and they said, hey, there's this really foul smell in the neighborhood. We think it's coming from this old boy's house. We're not totally sure, but it's gross, and it needs to be fixed. So they could never really pinpoint it, at least not for a few years, and and Anthony even had a girlfriend by the name of Lori Frazier. She was actually the niece of the mayor of Cleveland at the time, Frank Jackson. But they were in a relationship for a couple of years, and she actually lived with him at this house on Imperial Avenue. And she she started to complain about the smell. Um, and Sol, <laughs> he bonded off on his stepmom, and he was like, oh, it's just the old lady. She smells bad, right? And then the stepmom moved out, and the smell kept getting worse. And so he had to come up with another excuse, so he started blaming it on the, the sausage shop that was located just a couple doors down. And eventually, it, it got to be too much, you know. And this is it's actually kind of interesting, because when you look at John Wayne Gacy, he had a girlfriend, after he divorced his wife, he had a girlfriend who complained about the smell in the house. 
Um, and it got to the point where, you know, and that was the reason, one of the reasons his wife left as well, because the house smelled so bad and he didn't do anything about it to fix it. And so they had, they had to leave. Well, same situation here. Anthony's girlfriend, Lori, in September of 2009, she left him because the smell was so bad. But she couldn't figure out why. So anyways, shortly after she left him, Anthony invited a woman by the name of Latundra Billups to his house for a drink. She would later tell the police that, you know, they were drinking together and she started to get a little bit of a buzz, but Anthony became very angry and started to hit her and choke her and eventually raped her until she passed out. Well, police took her statement and wrote a search warrant, or not a search warrant, but an arrest warrant for Anthony and eventually arrested him on Halloween Day, October 31st in 2009. Uh, and when they did arrest him, you know, oftentimes in a, in a situation like, like that, when there's a sexual assault and there might be evidence inside the home that police can collect and use against the suspect, they'll write a search warrant for the house. So that's exactly what they did in the situation. They, were, they wrote a search warrant for Anthony's home. And they served it shortly after his arrest. And um, obviously they got probably a little bit more than they bargained for. Um, immediately they found two women uh, who were lying dead in the living room of the home. They found two women buried in a shallow grave in the basement. They found four dead women in the crawl spaces above the third floor. And they found uh, a few more bodies in the backyard. And they also found just a lone human skull inside of a bucket um, in, inside the actual house. So Anthony's total victim count uh, ended up being 11 between 2007 and 2009. Uh, the females all ranged in age from 33 years to 53 years old. His victims, uh, were they were all from the neighborhood with the exception of one. Um, Crystal Dozier, she was a mother of seven. Deshauna Culver was a mother of four. She was a recovering drug addict. LaShonda Long, um, mother of three, recovering addict. Uh, 53-year-old Tanya Carmichael, 45-year-old recovering addict Michelle Mason. 44-year-old Kim Smith, she was the only victim that did not have kids. Um, 43-year-old Nancy Cobb, recovering drug addict. Imelda Hunter, mother of three, only victim to not live in the neighborhood, but she was the one she, she visited frequently. 48-year-old Janice Webb, Talisha Forston, mother of three and a drug addict, 38-year-old Diane Turner. These were his victims, and they have, you know, most of them had multiple children. Most of them were either current or recovering drug addicts, and all of them, with the exception of one, were from the neighborhood. And it was later discovered that most of the victims were um, lured to Anthony's house with the promise of either alcohol or crack cocaine. And when they got back to the house, Anthony would strangle them. And most of them were found to have been uh, tied up and bound and gagged. And Anthony would, like I said, he'd lure them to the home, tie them up, strangle them, and then bury them either in the backyard or put them in crawl space above the third floor. And obviously that's why uh, it smelled so bad. It was also later discovered that Anthony raped an additional three women um, after, again, after luring them with the promise of drugs and alcohol back to his house, he was 50 years old when he was arrested. He had lived at the house for four years, and his trial began on June 6th of 2011. 
He was charged with 11 counts of murder, 74 counts of rape, kidnapping, tampering with evidence, and abuse of a corpse. He originally tried to use the insanity plea, but later changed it to a straight not guilty. And just over a month after the trial started, about a month and a half after it started, he was convicted on all but two counts. Um, he was convicted on all murder counts. The two counts is that the two counts that he was acquitted on were some of those um, smaller ancillary charges that were were added to it. He was sentenced on August 10th. The jury recommended the death penalty, and the judge upheld the jury's recommendation. His execution was set for October 29th, 2012, but a stay of execution was granted pending an appeal, and Anthony would exhaust all of his appeal options. He, he originally appealed on 21 different points, and the process wound up lasting through May of 2020 uh, with the Ohio Supreme Court and the Ohio 8th District Appellate Court denying all of his appeals and the U.S. Supreme Court rejecting to hear the case, and also the Ohio Supreme Court denying to reopen his appeal. His house on Imperial Avenue was eventually demolished, and uh, this happened while he was in in prison, and he got sick. He ended up receiving end-of-life care at Franklin Medical Center for a terminal illness that he had developed while he was in prison, and he ended up dying on my birthday of this year, February 8th, in Columbus, Ohio. His girlfriend, when he entered the Marine Corps, if you'll remember her, Twyla Austin, she had Sowell's daughter, Julie. Couldn't find a lot of information on her. She did testify in his trial. But other than that, all I can really find is that apparently she lived somewhat of a normal life in Arkansas. And I could not find any information on their daughter, Julie. He did not have any, he did not have any children with Kim. They were never together long enough to have kids, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that's, that's Anthony soul. He was, uh, he was a pretty brutal serial killer operating out of Ohio. I don't know what it is about Ohio. There's a couple, uh, sick bastards that <laughs> killed a lot of people up there, but anyways, so yeah, he just, he just passed away last Monday, uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And he was, he was actually a pretty, a relatively recent serial killer. Like I said, 2007 to 2009 was uh, the time frame that he operated in. But he's gone. He's dead. And so now we'll have to move on to someone else for next week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. I hope, uh, you know, if you're anywhere in the Midwest or the Southern Central Plains area, you're, you're staying warm and your power's not getting blacked out for half an hour at a time. But, uh, you know, be safe. Don't go out unless you have to. And, uh, you know, appreciate you tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. God bless you, and God bless America.